For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems things like hard starts rough performance and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup sea foam can help your engine run better and last longer simply pour a can in your gas tank hunters and anglers rely on sea foam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. From Mediator's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to SteelDealers.com. Now... Here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. You may recall last year when the Trump administration announced the opening of 850 new opportunities across more than 2.3 million acres at 147 national wildlife refuges and fish hatcheries. This was, at the time, billed as the largest expansion of fishing and hunting opportunities in U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service history. Well, recently, the Center for Biological Diversity filed a suit in a federal district court here in Montana. They claim, like many similar suits brought by environmental groups, that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service failed to adequately consider the impact of hunting and fishing on endangered species. Specifically, that lead shot could harm whooping cranes at the Kerwin, Potoka, and La Creek National Wildlife Refuges, lead fragments from bullets could harm jaguars at the Leslie Canyon National Wildlife Refuge, ocelots and jaguarundi at the Laguna Atacosta National Wildlife Refuge, and Audubon's crested caracara at the Everglades Headwaters National Wildlife Refuge. They also believe grizzly bears are in danger from hunters in Montana's Swan River National Wildlife Refuge. They worry increased hunting in these areas will result in more grizzly deaths due to self-defense shootings or mistakenly identifying grizzly as black bears. According to Section 7 of the Endangered Species Act, federal agencies may not fund or authorize any action that, quote, jeopardizes the continued existence of any listed species. The Center for Biological Diversity argues that expanding hunting and fishing does exactly that. It's true that lead in projectiles and fishing tackle can have adverse impacts on wildlife, specifically on predators and waterfowl. 
ducks, geese, and cranes can ingest lead shot and become sick, and predators and scavengers can ingest lead bullet fragments when they're feeding on a carcass. However, this is still a hard argument to make. First, lead shot for waterfowl hunting has been banned on all national wildlife refuges since 1991. Since whooping cranes live and feed in wetlands, it's unlikely they'll be exposed to additional risk of lead poisoning if other hunting opportunities are expanded, which is what the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service determined in its review. The Center for Biological Diversity claims that allowing hunters to use lead ammunition for big game predators and cottontail rabbits will, quote, expand use of lead shot on the refuge, increasing the risk to whooping cranes. They fail to explain exactly how shooting large predators with lead bullets will lead to the death of cranes. Search as we may, we could not locate any data suggesting, much less proving, these birds eat the carcasses of dead mountain lions or bears. The center also worries that even though Kerwin National Wildlife Refuge in Kansas prohibits lead ammunition for all hunting activities, the new rule could still harm whooping cranes. Why? Because, according to the lawsuit, the rule expands sport fishing to new acres and the reserve allows lead fishing tackle to be used. There's just a problem. Sport fishing was already open at Kerwin before the new rule was put into place. The lawsuit claims that the rule opens new acres to sport fishing but that's not true. Fishing has always been permitted on all refuge waters. The rule opens about 1,300 additional acres to motorized boats, but those acres had always been open to fishing and fishing with lead tackle. It's also worth noting that Kerwin suspends firearm hunting while whooping cranes are on the landscape, in case anyone was worried about a hunter accidentally killing one. Accidental killing of cranes have happened, but they are rare. It's more of an education issue than a hunter in the field issue. There was just an interesting case in Oklahoma involving some cranes shot. The jury's still out on whether or not those were hunters. In that particular piece of ground that is also close to hunting while cranes are on the landscape, it's just nobody knew the cranes were there, except for the a-hole who shot them. I'd also like to point out that the people that reported the shootings and the killings were, in fact, hunters. As for the Center of Biological Diversity's investment in grizzly bears, The lawsuit claims that grizzly bears are in danger of dying from mistaken identity and self-defense shootings. You know, you put more hunters in the grizzly bear woods and there will be conflicts, but you put a hell of a lot more grizzly bears in the woods that everybody used, there's going to be conflicts anyway. The new rule opened a fall archery black bear hunt on the Swan River National Wildlife Refuge here in Montana. Archery hunting, as you know, requires hunters to get close to an animal before taking a shot. This greatly mitigates the possibility that hunters would mistakenly identify a grizzly bear as a black bear, which is exactly what the Fish and Wildlife Service found in its analysis. The overarching claim of the lawsuit is that the Fish and Wildlife Service failed to consider potential impacts to endangered species, but as the lawsuit admits, the agency did consider the possibility of mistaken identity grizzly bear deaths. They found that only 3% of all grizzly bear mortalities are due to hunter misidentification among all types of hunting, not just archery. They concluded that such a risk would have only a minor negative effect, if any at all. The Center for Biological Diversity's lawsuit acknowledges these facts, but nonetheless maintains that the Fish and Wildlife Service didn't do its job. If you're questioning the self-defense shooting... The lawsuit accuses the Fish and Wildlife Service of, quote, completely ignoring the effects of self-defense killings on the grizzly bear population in the Swan River. 
Do self-defense killings occur? Yes, they do. In the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, for example, of the 284 grizzly deaths recorded over the last five years, self-defense killings accounted for 38 of those 284 deaths. Now, I'll give you my opinion here. I can't imagine this lawsuit to be successful, and I truly only mention it here on the Week in Review as an opportunity to show that there is thinking done on behalf of non-huntable wildlife while thinking about huntable wildlife, i.e. having an archery black bear hunt in grizzly bear territory. Although the Center for Biological Diversity claims to only oppose harmful hunting, I've never heard them name any kind of hunting they would just roundly support. This newest lawsuit uses a well-worn strategy to attack hunters and anglers. The Endangered Species Act rightly requires federal agencies to consider the environmental impact of any given action. But groups like the Center for Biological Diversity use this requirement to fearmonger. If you were to follow their broad logic, you would eventually get to a point of staying the hell out of the woods in general. Yes, every time you go in the woods, potentially something could happen that will impact potentially threatened or endangered wildlife. For instance, and this is just a for instance, a skier on Bald Mountain, which is part of the Sun Valley Ski Resort, just killed a mule deer fawn in a collision. The skier was in the act of lift service downhill skiing. It was not his intention to do any grocery shopping or thrill killing while on the mountain. It just happened. Mule deer are not threatened or endangered, but it's a good example of the unexpected happening while being outside. It's a huge part of why many of us choose to head into the out-of-doors, the unexpected. Hunting is an outdoor pursuit that shoulders immense responsibility. Every other thing you do outside, hiking, skiing, mountain biking, you name it, has consequences to the landscape and wildlife. But when it comes to hunting and being a hunter, We are choosing to put ourselves in close proximity to game, and game is what gets et by predators, such as grizzly bears. The swan is ripe with grizzlies. It is one of those parts of Montana that has always been full of grizzlies. If you are choosing to take advantage of this new black bear hunt, I would strongly consider packing bear spray. If you hunt the swan in general, you already are. On top of that, you need to know how to use it. I would also speak with any hunter I came across in those woods and make sure that they are bear aware as well. Whether you love that old grizzly bear like I do or hate them, we don't want hunters making mistakes. We want to be able to hunt this bear. We want this species to be back under state management and as far away from the ESA as possible. And for some reason, that conflict number of people in the out of doors running into bears and having a bad situation always gets used in an anti-hunter sort of way. So be prepared. If you're a hunter, know the risks, know your responsibilities, plan accordingly. This week, we've got hunter safety, Alaska, and venom. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. As you know, I've been recording these a couple weeks out, so we can take a little vacation time here. That's right, Phil. We're thinking of you. And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. And now it's the new year. Is it a new you? Of course not. But it is an interesting time to consider what we would do differently. It appears that the ammunition shortage is becoming less of a thing, as every chunk of state ground around Bozeman is packed full of recreational shooters. If this is you, as it is me sometimes, 
be sure to pick up trash, especially if it isn't yours. Hell, pick up trash in general. If you hate your politics, and you hate when your hunting and politics get combined, do something about it by, you know, getting a little bit more political. Write in, call in, email in, and go to your local Fish and Game Commission meetings. Get acquainted with your state and federal representatives. You can always start by letting them know what you think they got right. There will be something, at a minimum, one thing, that your state legislature will have a public hearing on that has to do with your hunting and fishing rights. Go testify. It's not scary. It can be very impactful whether you're in support of or against of that issue. Make it happen. Run for office, county commissioner, school board, game commission, senator, president of the United States, or the frickin' trap club if you feel that you are underrepresented and it's starting to really grind on you, these are things that you can do. We always need better people in office. Were you kidding about the presidential thing? No. What? Why? Yeah. Because, I mean, generally speaking, people don't like you. Huh? Shut up. Shut up. You're an idiot. Don't. You're an idiot. No, I, I could do that job. I can do that okay. job. Okay. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. You've heard that name before because I've talked about them here on this podcast. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. Now, it's wild access deer, which is an invasive species, but this operation is monitored and observed by the USDA, and they can commercially sell axis deer. Last time I went out to uh, Maui to hunt axis, I did not kill one, which is where Maui Nui Venison would come in very handy for folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful and still want to have something in the freezer or uh, handy in the form of a snack stick that is as close to getting your own as you can get, which is what Maui Nui Venison is. You can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks, 
sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I, Venison.com. And use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. Moving on to a sticky topic, the hunting accident desk. A few weeks ago, as in probably a month ago, I told you about hunting in the United States and how it's never been safer. Fewer hunters are killed or injured today than at any time since state agencies started keeping track, and much of that is thanks to hunters following what they're taught in hunter safety courses. Of course, that doesn't mean we should let our guard down. Whether you've been hunting for two years or two decades, it's super important to practice safe gun handling, prepare for inclement weather, and wear your safety harness in the tree stand. Several tragic accidents from the last few weeks underline the importance of staying safe in the woods. In Iowa, the Department of Natural Resources is asking hunters to review safety procedures after three hunters were shot and one killed during the first weekend in December. One hunter was shot in the stomach and another had his right hand grazed with a slug during a deer drive. Another pheasant hunter was hit with four pellets in the face and neck. Most tragically, a 37-year-old Iowa whitetail hunter was shot in the chest and died while participating in a deer drive with a 20-person hunting group. Iowa DNR is still investigating the incident, but a spokesperson reiterated that hunters should know the layout of the property and the location of the hunters before setting out into the woods. In another tragic incident, a 14-year-old whitetail hunter in Missouri named Jordan Griffey died from massive blood loss after he tripped and shot himself in the shoulder. Investigators have not provided any additional details, but his family described Jordan as a kind and loving person who enjoyed hunting, fishing, four-wheeling, and searching for arrowheads. In western Pennsylvania, three hunters have been shot in the past two weeks, two of whom have died. One was shot in the chest with .30-06 by a fellow hunter during a deer drive. The Pennsylvania Game Commission told the Erie Times that five hunters were participating in the deer drive. One of the drivers took a shot at a deer and struck his fellow hunter in the chest. Thankfully, the man has undergone surgery and is expected to live. Elsewhere in Western PA, a hunter died after being shot in the head with a 243 rifle. A juvenile fired the shot at a deer, but it traveled beyond the animal about 300 yards and struck the man in the head. He was pronounced dead at the scene. In the final Pennsylvania incident, a retired police officer died after being accidentally shot and killed by his nephew. The pair were hunting black bears, and as they crossed a creek, the nephew slipped and the firearm discharged behind him, striking his uncle. Investigators have released no further details at this time. I don't cover these stories to cast blame on the folks involved. I don't like them. I guarantee the responsible parties are feeling guilty enough already, but these incidents should remind us to never let our guard down in the woods. They're important to talk about for that reason. It only takes a moment of forgetfulness to get to a place of serious injury or death. The most common mistake I have seen in the field is forgetting if there is a live round in the chamber. I myself, after shooting, have reloaded and left the gun in place after finding that my first round was effective, only to come back minutes or sometimes hours later to pick up the rifle and find that there is a live round in the chamber with the safety off. That little incident, with no loud surprising bang, no injuries, is a sobering moment. My preference while walking in the woods is to have a loaded magazine with no rounds in the chamber, but I will admit there are a few very specific circumstances where that preference will cost you an animal. If you choose to carry a live round in the chamber of your weapon, as we always do with shotguns for upland bird or waterfowl, 
constantly check that the gun is on safe and that the barrel is pointed in a safe direction. Keep your finger off the trigger until you're ready to fire and always know your target and what's beyond it. If we recommit to these responsible hunting practices daily, we can continue to making hunting safer than it's ever been in the United States. Moving on. A federal judge recently denied an injunction sought by the state of Alaska against the Federal Subsistence Board, which has been making some very controversial decisions lately. You will no doubt remember Wildlife Special Action Request 21-01, which is still seeking to close public land units 23 and 26A to non-subsistence moose and caribou hunters. Combined, this area is a little bigger than the state of Oregon. This particular case had to do in part with a more local issue. In 2020, an emergency hunt was declared near the southeast Alaska village of Cake in response to COVID-related food shortages. The Federal Subsistence Board delegated its authority to Cake's local native tribe, letting them decide who specifically would be able to participate in the hunt and who would get the resulting food. The state of Alaska argued that this violated so-called federal sunshine laws, which require decisions to be made through public processes, not, as in this case, in private by the tribe. The judge declared this objection moot or meaningless as the federal delegation of decision-making in the case of the emergency hunt has expired and is not likely to be renewed. The second part of the state of Alaska's beef is more relevant to you and me. They sought to overturn the subsistence board's special action closing moose and caribou hunting on federal public lands in game management units 13A and 13B to non-federally qualified users. Alaska argued that the closure decision was arbitrary and capricious because outside hunters had not been shown to threaten population numbers, which is supposed to be the standard. The federal judge disagreed. When we've talked about the importance of taking action on Units 23 and 26A, that much bigger stretch of land, we have referenced these smaller units, 13A and 13B, because they were closed while no one was looking, examples of the kind of thing we can't let slip by us. Well, now we have another reason to keep the pending decision about 23 and 26A on our radar. If those areas are closed, the precedent is now established that overturning that closure will be difficult, if not impossible. We'll obviously stay on top of this Alaska situation. There will be another call to action. Now, moving on to the Venom Desk. Scientists at the University of Queensland in Australia have demonstrated the evolutionary downsides to developing venom resistance. You would think the more impervious animal is to venom, the better. But the story is more complicated. In our episode after Snort's rattlesnake run in, we talked about how snake venom consists of the same proteins as the ones already in our bodies, just in all the wrong combinations and amounts. For example, your body uses specific protein keys to set off nerve impulses. But when you get bitten by a cobra, the cobra's venom uses copies of those same keys to turn off the nerves that move your diaphragm, causing you to suffocate. One strategy for surviving a snake bite is antivenom, either produced by the body or injected as medicine. Antivenom binds to venom proteins before they can bind to receptors in the body. The antivenom molecules are like fake locks for venom keys to fit into, and the venom molecules then get flushed out of the system. Those with natural venom resistance could be described as having body locks that are more complex and specific 
so that fewer and fewer Venom keys can work to unlock them. You could probably pry open your little sister's diary lock with a hairpin, but that hairpin won't work on the bank vault. So unless we intend to do this job in Reno, we're in Barney. Barney Rubble. Trouble! To see how this kind of resistance functioned, the Australian scientists zeroed in on one particular neural site called the acetylcholine receptor, one of the targets of the neurotoxic venom. Using the published genetic code of a range of different primate species, the scientists created each primate's different acetylcholine receptor structure in the lab. And sure enough, the scientists found that the more closely the primate species evolved with poisonous snakes, the less well neurotoxins bound to that specific kind of acetylcholine receptor. The more difficult it was for the venom key to fit into the lock. Primates that evolved primarily in Africa and Asia with more snakes in their habitat, like humans, bonobos, and chimps, had better resistance to neurotoxin binding. While those who evolved in the Americas, with far less exposure to venomous snakes, like the white-faced capuchin or the Peruvian spider monkey, were very susceptible to venom binding. And we know, in practice, that New World monkeys are much more likely to die after being bitten by a snake than, for example, chimps native to Tanzania. Or you and me, for that matter. However, even those animals in closest contact with snakes only ever develop around 80% resistance. That's because acetylcholine receptors can't completely shut out every key. They have to bind readily to save proteins in the body, or else they won't work. Acetylcholine reactions let your heart beat and your eyes blink. They are very important for memory formation and cognitive function. The lead author of the study, Brian Fry, said, quote, We have shown that resistance to snake venoms comes with a fitness disadvantage whereby the receptors don't do their normal function as efficiently. So there is a fine balance to be struck where the gain has to outweigh the loss. In the case of humans, the partial resistance we have is enough to survive the defensive snake bites we most often get hit with, without losing too much neurological function as a result. This same balance happens in other species as well, and sometimes losing venom resistance actually increases fitness, which is interesting to think about. If this were a video game, would you want your avatar to jump higher or be more resistant to venom? If you could choose right now, to increase your physical abilities, but lose that built-in anti-venom you didn't even ask for, would you do it? Probably not with a ticket to Australia in your hand, or in my experience, a good excuse to wander for a few days in the Owyhee wilderness in Idaho. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, if you didn't get exactly what you wanted for Christmas, you can always go to www.steeldealers.com and find a local knowledgeable steel dealer near you. They'll get you set up with what you need and not with what you don't. And if you're looking for one more good deed to do this new year, write in to A-S-K-C-A-L. That's AskCal at TheMeatEater.com and let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. Thanks again and I'll talk to you next week. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. 
Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on Seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. 